is step one, writing your own narratives, so to speak, being able to tell your story around both the things you're doing well that meet or exceed standard, and then, you know, the things that you want to advance and what your plan is going to be to advance to be able to show that we need to advance because we don't meet standard. And here's the reference. Welcome to the NATA cast, the official podcast of the National Athletic Trainers Association. The NATA cast is your audio source for exclusive insight from NATA, our leadership and athletic training thought leaders. This show will feature in-depth conversations about healthcare topics that interest you, the athletic trainer. Welcome back to the NATA cast. I am your host, Katie Scott. I'm a certified athletic trainer and serving on staff at the association. And with me today, I have our past president, Tori Lindley. Tori, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Katie. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I, I'm really excited today. So uh, for our viewers and listeners who I don't have the pleasure of knowing, Tori and I have gone way back. Decades, even one could say, which makes me feel old. So we're not going to say that. Um, but uh, not only is Tori a mentor of mine, but we also have a phenomenal project that we want to talk about today. Uh, I believe it is something that is going to be one of the best benefits I've seen at the association, if not top five collegiate standard of care toolkit. So, Katie, off the top, you're typically someone who's excited about most things. So while I'm glad to hear that you're excited about today's podcast, I also understand that I'm level setting, but I too share in your excitement. This has been a really um, you know, interesting journey for us, for the association, for our membership partners. Uh, a lot of people have been involved. I know we're going to get into that, but the bottom line is we've we have a really good product here, an outstanding opportunity for athletic trainers to be benefited um, in the collegiate setting and, and have this as a member benefit. Uh, but ultimately, it's about our end stakeholder, which, of course, is our patient and our student athletes who will benefit as well. Absolutely. So some background for our listeners. Uh, in June, the Inter-Association Collegiate Standard of Care Toolkit was launched a four-year project in the making, the toolkit, which was spearheaded by NATA, but supported by the American Orthopedic Society of Sports Medicine, also known as AOSSM, American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, AMSSM, and the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy uh, provided ATs physicians with a self-guided study backed by the evidence and best practices. Uh, Tori, what kind of how did you determine what groups to bring together for that? Um, how did you know that this was going to be an interprofessional approach for a project when first starting? Thinking through, you know, how we could get to a point of ultimately succeeding, you just have to look around the clinic each day and see who are the key people who not only are providing care, but who are working together to establish, uh, you know, what that standard of care should be making critical decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, who supports whom. Um, and then I think, you know, the time that I benefited from in the NATA boardroom and certainly the time that I benefited during the time that I served as president and building relationships made it very clear that AMSSM, AOSSM, and AASPT would be natural partners uh, to work with us on, you know, this pretty far-reaching big swing type project. Yeah. And 
previously talked about, it officially launched in June at convention. It was really cool to see such a full room at your press conference um, where that official launch took place. Give us some feedback from, from your seat and your viewpoint of that press conference. What were you most excited about? What are you most excited about for the toolkits launch? And how do you see this tool impacting collegiate athletic trainers, regardless of what level institution they they may be serving in? The press conference itself, you know, was overwhelming, as you described, to have a packed room and to see probably not just the support, but I think I was most pleased with the type of thoughtful questions that came from collegiate athletic trainers from a number of different levels. You know, one of the unique things that we'll get into about this particular resource and this tool is we started out with a goal of serving every athletic trainer in the collegiate setting to design and develop resources that met them exactly where they 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 practice each day. You know, you and I both practiced in the collegiate athletic training setting and, and in collegiate healthcare and, and knowing at different levels um, throughout, and I'll just go back to my career, knowing that while you're working uh, perhaps the division three level, um, there are you know some key differences between the division three level and the division one level. There are differences between the, the role that I had at a group of five institution and versus the role I had at an autonomous five institution. But the bottom line is every single one of my student athletes, every single one of our patients deserved the exact same care. And there are ways to do that if you understand, you know, what those you know, what those resources are, what the standards say about it and how you can develop within that interprofessional team, you know, the opportunities for advancing in a lot of ways that don't really cost more than what any institution can afford, whether it's JUCO, NAI, and then all the various levels of NCAA institutions. So I know you asked me like three other questions, uh, but that was my response you know, feeling really good, really, you know, felt a very warm reception for the tool when we launched it in June in Indianapolis. And of course, the feedback since then has been equally as positive. Going a little bit back to when the project was was first talked about, and I, I was in the boardroom when you brought it up in your presidency as the project that you wanted to see NATA spearhead and take on. And the first word that came to my head when I was listening to you explain this to me of, hey, we're, we're going to work on this together was uh, audacious. <laughs> and I even kind of looked at you like, you think we're going to do what now? <laughs> but you did such a great job of explaining the why and the how and the who. And so for our listeners today, can you elaborate on that a little bit? The why, the who, and the how of the project? Sure. Yeah, I've been called crazy many times, a few times by you, and certainly with this project in mind, I think there's plenty of crazy embedded uh, within it. Um, and, and certainly, you know, to, to see the launch was really satisfying for our association and our partners. Like many athletic trainers, and I can't say all, but I, I think we, we speak peer to peer often enough to know that this time of year is a reminder of how challenged our setting can be. You know, the start of, of sports for women's soccer, men's soccer men's women's cross country. And of course, you know, anywhere from 85 to 125 uh, football athletes and the collegiate setting means a lot of things for athletic trainers in a lot of different areas. 
uh, healthcare, healthcare administration, emergency management preparedness, communication, urgency. There's there's just a lot there, and so I think many of us, um, you know, figuratively or literally, lay awake at night, especially this time of year, thinking about their student athletes, wondering, you know, are we doing everything? Do we know where even to look to find the things that we may not be doing, so we can have conversations with each other and and talk through maybe some some areas. And I, I think of a few things that have come to mind in the last you know couple of years. Air quality was something that in many parts of our country, we never had to deal with. And so prior to the tool being launched, one of the newer examples would be air quality. So you lay awake and I go, so I'm hearing about this for the first time. Canada's mm-hmm. on fire, unfortunately. And so now in the upper Midwest, we are dealing with something we've never dealt with before. So how do I manage it? How do I gauge it? How do we as a sports medicine team put our best forward? put forward to protect our student athletes. Again, ultimately the why. So prior to the launch of the toolkit, you know, now you can turn to the toolkit and identify where that standard lies with environmental uh, health and safety and have a policy template and the resources and build your own policy and socialize it within your own institution by doing so advancing healthcare and protecting your student athletes. Uh, but the project was born from this, you know, unquenched uh, thirst more so just this, you know, this consistent worry about, you know, are we doing everything and are we doing the things that we're currently trying to manage at a a level um, that is appropriate? Should it be, should it be different? Should it be better? And and how do I, how do I do it? And where do I go to find it? And that place just didn't exist. So I I think that's, that's a lot of the why. Um, Talked about the who, you know, the who involves a lot of different key stakeholders in sports medicine, all the people that, you know, and great professionals that make up our sports medicine teams, regardless of staff size, regardless of, you know, resources, those key components exist. And I think everyone has an ultimate goal of being that provider who's doing the very best that they can um, take care of their student athletes. And, you know, I think I'll pause there because the how is probably more of a step-by-step process that I think we probably want to get into. And I want to get your perspective on the how, because you were a critical player in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Before we jump into that, though, when I think about the who, I know for sure this project is going to benefit really anybody who has a hand in the policy and procedure or the administrative aspect of sports medicine, right? But I also see this toolkit as an opportunity for those who are not quite into that level of their career yet, but want to learn how to do it correctly or want to learn what goes into the process of making a PMP. I know as a, a young professional, when I was at Northwestern um, working with the staff, watching the way that you develop the PMP, I learned so much because I was not good at that. Organ ad was not my strong suit. And so being able to watch you and the senior staff put together and review the PMP was almost for me like this toolkit in person. And so I'm really excited to see, especially for some of our early professionals um, and even our career advancing professionals, having access to a toolkit now, being able to see the way that a PMP can be comprehensive and looking at the way that the interprofessional approach can be taken um, really will benefit those that are currently in this area of their career, but also may just aspire to want to be in that position one day. Totally agree. I think there's a a massive sports medicine cheat code that we've created, you know, in the sense that now we have a place to turn. And when we have questions, 
you know, at, at all points in our career, we now, you know, have a place to turn and it will continue to grow and evolve and it will continue to improve over time. I also believe one other area that I would add to, you know, the, the who is, I think this can be a really strong tool in our professional education programs for faculty and clinical faculty to know for those ATs, you know, that are, that are aspiring to practice in the collegiate setting, uh, this type of uh, resource exists, uh, but also to help them, you know, think about when you look at the number of standards and the number of resources, it, it really helps to have you identify how large, you know, that, that responsibility is. And not that, you know, we need any more reminders of how much we need to take seriously the responsibility responsibility we have as credential uh, healthcare providers, you know, in, in whatever setting. So even though this is specific to the collegiate setting, you know, I could certainly see parallels being made to, to other settings where, where people are, you know, thinking more critically about what drives their policy, what drives uh, their practice and what, what drives the decisions that they're making and what evidence backs it. Now we get into the fun part, the how. Man, looking back now, it really was massive uh, undertaking. It's been really, it's fun to look back on it now and just see just how ginormous um, it really was to tackle and could not do it without the writing group. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about the formation of the writing group? Sure. So th- from the very start, you know, once we made our you know connections and were able to convince our membership organization partners that this is something that we wanted to at least try to do and again convince them that we weren't nuts they they were very willing to identify some some key people within their organization real clinical leaders that contributed to what we what we determined would be our steering committee and then the steering committee heard some of the scaffolding of of our plan and our timeline to execute and then really the how um, started with the overall determination that a group of 15, 18, 20 people, you know, that that size group, which really was the size of the group that someone that range was our steering committee. I don't think there, there would have been a lot of success in asking 15 to 20 people uh, to develop a tool, but something needed to, you know, to, to be pen to paper. We had to start somewhere. And, you know, when you, when you can work in smaller groups, when you can work in a group of, you know, of, of individuals who trust each other and more, more so, or I guess most so a group of individuals that were willing to put in uh, the, the hours and hours of work that it took, um, that's how we came to a writing group. Now, I think before we talk about some of those specifics and, you know, some of the twists and turns and some of our big surprises, this is a project, again, not where, even though we're using the word writing group, these aren't five people who are writing standards. These are five people who are extracting standards from the existing best practices that the literature has provided for us, that other member organizations have provided for us, that um, you know, that consensus statements have been built around and have created in organizations like the NCAA and NAIA and the National Junior College um, Athletic Association, you know, what have they already established as best practices? So our goal was not to, you know, create something new. In some cases, you know, we we were doing a lot of organizing, a lot of reorganizing, 
and conceptually perhaps rewording, but in other cases, we were, you know, taking what was all already available and and published journals um, in the version of checklists and putting those checklists into into the standards. So, you know, the level set there. Um, this was a group that had the goal of extracting what what is best practice already. So it was me, it was you. You know, you were tremendous in the project. So I thank you again. The the ways that we were able to develop by domains uh, really was where where you stood apart from the group uh, because this had to have some level of understandable organization. It had to be created in a way that you know people could approach this um, in chunks, so to speak. But more than anything, it had to be organized in a way that you could go back years later and and find particular areas as a reference or a resource versus the initial heavy lift of doing the entire survey going through all of the domains so you know with that in mind i i think i want to thank you because that was truly a strength of yours that really brought this this whole project much more into a you know oh, okay now i get it like you could see the light bulbs go off with you um with terry dizal with john mahalik and with uh, Lindsay Stefano, that's our writing group now named. Um, that's where I think I saw others really understand what we were going for. I kind of knew it, but I did probably a poor job for a few months and really trying to describe it. But yeah, I think once we got to that point, and then we were able to, you know, define some areas of, uh, you know, er- some some work areas and make some assignments in some different domains. I think that's really where. The work began. That's where it got really exciting because I know um, I'm sure there were many of times where you were about to hit the mute button on me in the Zoom meetings because I kept speaking to the end user, the end vision. What is that going to, you know, what that should look like, what that could look like, um, which I'm really happy we kept focus on uh, because if it wasn't for that, that, that vision um, of what does this look like to the end user, I don't think the product that we have is what would have come out of that, right? Because it is substantial. It is giant. It is large, um, but it is user-friendly and it is uh, focused and attainable no matter if you're the only athletic trainer in a division three college with a very tiny budget or you have 15 staff and a unlimited budget and everything you ask for at the snap of fingers comes to you in apparition at a autonomous lot five school. So it's, I I'm really excited to see how our process um, allowed us to get to that place because I, it's just, it's gonna, it will benefit literally every collegiate program at every institution across the board. Yeah, those are great points. And that's some thinking again, back to how the, the group really worked well together because Donna and Lindsay could bring just a tremendous background in research, a really outstanding background, not only clinically, but yes, education-based from what they had experienced in a number of different important you know, research studies and, and, and being published in so many different areas, collegiate level. Carrie and I both had different experiences, but um, were able to, to bring our clinical experiences and our challenges as clinical leaders and um, you know, challenges around, you know, identifying the things that we've talked about, you know, not only creating, but, you know, having 21 staff members be able to carry out the policy and putting those things into practice so that, you know, we could provide that same level of 
high level of health care for our fencers that we were trying to provide for our women's basketball players. So, you know, the group really gelled in that way because of the different perspectives were able to create something that it's not just develop and extract and write the standards from what exists, but put it in a form that people can actually use it, apply it. And I think a, a major light bulb moment as well was when we determined that that really we we want people to be asked the question you know are you at the standard in this area can you demonstrate that you are doing these things and as it turns out these things were over 500 different things within you know 16 domains so once we started you know piecing this back together it it wasn't overwhelming because of the approach that we took and you know, again, super satisfied with where we landed. Yeah. Another behind the scenes thing that you and I haven't really gotten to talk about a lot yet. And I was excited for this podcast because I knew we were going to do it here was uh, the process we followed with the seven level groups to be able to determine um, the consider, recommend and essential level setting of the standards. And that actually, that that muse, I feel like came from what you and I got to learn when we sat in on the spine injury and sports group process, where for the development of that inner association consensus statement, they followed the Delphi process. And I know for me, that was the first time seeing a Delphi process in person and watch the way that that worked and to be able to, to be part of that uh, group and witness that process um, was really cool. And, and I would be remiss to say that that didn't influence um, in some way, the the importance where we got together and started talking about how are we going to level set this toolkit, um, really referencing back to that and realizing the the benefit of using the Delphi process, which um, for any listeners that aren't super heavy into the research field, it really allows consensus to be known without loudest voices in the room kind of taking over. And so I, I was excited to see that and um, just share a little inside info on, on that process. Yeah, shout out to our friends at uh, University of Washington, but um, that did bring it to light. Now, I will tell you that from the very start, part of my vision for this project always included the very level-specific analysis of what you know the standard could and should look like. Now, what became one of maybe only a small handful of things that we can thank COVID for is I always envisioned those groups being, you know, flown into a, a city and put into seven or however many, it ended up being seven different groups, seven different conference I remember rooms. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. And sit in these rooms and and figure out what the standards should be for division three. Now, what ended up happen, happening clearly is that our writing group established standards. Those got edited by the steering committee, bounced back to the writing committee, back to the steering committee. And then, a, you know, what became our, we kept calling that our almost final version of the first draft is what we put in front of each of those different groups. And obviously what COVID allowed us to do is do it, you know, virtually and and do it in a way that was, you know, much more streamlined, uh, so much more efficient, so much more quick. And by quick, I mean, how quickly can you review 500 plus standards? But what it also allowed us to do is realize that you know, the, the standard themselves should hold true. And it did. They all held true across all different levels of collegiate athletics, maybe one of my small surprises, but then to see how somewhat similar the analysis through the Delphi process was of, you know, standards being considered essential uh, across the board. 
some that we knew would be more recommended or considered, uh, you know, examples like in performance nutrition. There are some levels of collegiate healthcare where that person is is a consultant and, and not available on the day-to-day versus other levels where there might be five or six sports dietitians embedded within your sports medicine team. So, you know, there, there are differences there. There are different differences in alcohol and other drug testing. So there are some differences that we knew would be flushed out and to be able to do that process so efficiently was was an incredible asset for this project's success. And then the last point I want to talk about in development process before we go on is is just that I think it's important for the the listeners to understand the development's not done. The the project's launched, people are using right. it, but the development itself is not done. This is a living breathing toolkit and as medicine evolves and new evidence-based resources come in, um, and we also get feedback from the tool because it's also talking to us through the de-identified aggregate data. Um, this group has plans to to keep it current and keep it up front and keep it cutting edge, which is, I, I think, very, very innovative um, and, and really looking forward to going into that season of this. Yeah, further sets it apart. Um, you know, we talk about how unique this is and how unique we believe it to be and how unique people have told us they believe that it is and can be and will continue to be. Um, the analogy I use is, you know, we spent three and a half years training for a marathon. The launch in June in Indianapolis was, you know, quite literally the starting line, like ton of work put in to create and get us to the starting line. But once we launched it publicly, you know, then became the opportunity that you're talking through, which is, you know, help. How can we make that tool as good as it can be? And then how can it stay relevant, modernized to, you know, to the latest standards? And, you know, we've talked a lot about how the timing of the international consensus statement on concussion was our first example of, okay, this this occurred, the standard has changed, and the toolkit must be reflective of that change. And that's where we lean back on our partners, lean back on the Delphi process and and update accordingly. And, and we'll have that process, you know, forever. So I, I guess well, I say we're running a marathon, but you know, let's let's say we'll be doing this for decades in a way that it can stay relevant and up to date so that the ATs and physicians have have that resource um, at their fingertips. Sounds to me like we need to name the toolkit. Maybe we can call it Steve. Thoughts? Yep, why you would call it Steve, but um, no, I don't think we need to name it at this point. <laughs> if something you know comes up organically, we might consider it. But okay. Uh, so moving on, kind of understanding the toolkit. Uh, you know, we uh, what I want to link in the show notes, and I know our our uh, producer Tracy will do that for us. Is our timely topic that we did right before convention, because it gives a really great visual demo of the toolkit. I think it's kind of hard to talk about on here how to do it. Um, but really, there's there's three three components um, to the toolkit. The first is the, the PDF um, sheet. And it's I don't want to call it a score sheet. And I'll, Tori, I know you're going to get into that piece here in a minute. But it's a, a document where you can fill in the feedback that you receive from the toolkit. And over time, you can use that to get a high-level vision of the changes and the advancement that you've done in each of the domains. Um, and then as you download and print that off, the actual toolkit itself, which is 16 surveys, one for each domain. And then the third part is the uh, gather community. 
that we launched, which is also pretty innovative when you're looking at these kind of self-study projects. Um, so we'll want to, we'll want to touch base on that too. Um, but Tori, anything else to add about kind of the description or the overview of it? What I believe is what we've also heard. And, and that is, um, you know, it seems for that end user or that athletics healthcare administrator, whoever, you know, one person or people take on small group at an institution, take on the task of going through this, you know, it's, it seems overwhelming, but the way that we've structured it, it really isn't. Um, it takes away some of the anxiety of, you know, just getting into it. And by getting into it, you're evaluating what you already have in place. You're being asked some, you know, some key questions in a lot of different areas, clearly. But your mindset is organized in a way that, you know, you you can go spend as much time as you need to spend in in a particular domain, but know that, you know, you probably are looking in similar places to see, you know, where you're your practice matches up against uh, the standard. So uh, that part, um, I think, is great. And, you know, the star of the show is the resources. The star of the show is what's been developed as an initial, you know, launch on Gather that includes over a thousand resources from which these standards were built. But what's most exciting is what's going to come in the weeks and the months and the years where there are peer-to-peer types of uh, you know, sharing that's going to go on, you know, where other best practices might be, where other templates, where their thoughts and ideas, where conversations begin around execution. It's one thing to demonstrate that you have the policy, but, you know, we also know that in executing this on behalf of our student athletes, challenges, um, roadblocks are going to come up. And I think that's really where the user is going to benefit. Yeah. And, and talking about the resources, it was really, uh, really, really cool to sit in on on some of the meetings and conversations that you've had with our intercollegiate council for sports medicine, where we were demoing and sharing this toolkit with them. And then we showed them the list of resources. And furthermore, we kind of showed them areas of opportunity that we already knew of where resources could be created. And just watching sort of their gears start to spin of well, we have this or we have that, or we could we can submit this already to fill in those spaces and and sort of watch that council um really start to also get excited for that resource production. Cause I think that is just, I know we keep talking about this is a value and that's a value and this is unique, but that's just another part of this where um the ROI back to the membership for the investment of this toolkit is is huge. Um forever producing resources that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. Yeah, you're right. Thinking of some of those faces because those are the clinicians who, you know, have those lived experiences probably yesterday or the same morning of the, you know, of the Zoom meeting that they're sitting on and and talking through, you know, what what this can bring to the table and yes, over time I think there'll be a number number of contributors uh, to this, those that are, you know, considered content experts um certainly will raise their hand. Um others that are Experiencing it day to day in the clinic, we know that our physician partners will continue to be great resources as well. So I can't even imagine what this is going to look like from the resource side of things in five years. Um, I'm getting to my favorite question. I always love when it's asked to you or I, as well as having it asked about, um, but accessibility of the toolkit. Tori, how much is it for a member of NATA to access the toolkit? Uh, free 99. Um, 
free and free, just free. <laughs> and um, that was always so, really important to you. Like from day yeah. one, you you straight up said to everyone, we're going to do this. We're going to invest a lot of staff time, volunteer time. Um, all the all these types of investment are going to go into this tool and it is going to be free for members. That was a hill that you planted a flag on from day one. And uh, we have we've you and I have sat in meetings where there have been people that have said, what? You're you're giving away your intellectual property of this for free, and we went, yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, the conference commissioners didn't quite get it. They they wanted to kick us out of the Zoom. Um, they thought we were, well, we are nuts. But they thought we were kidding. Yeah, you think you think back to uh, the early days of you know not launching, more describing this to our member partners and. That too was a big concern of theirs. And while they wanted to be a part of it, they were kind of sitting back, kind of waiting, you know, waiting, waiting, okay, how much are they going to ask us for? How much is this going to cost us? Um, and so for them to understand that NATA was interested in taking the lead, accepting, you know, some of the financial liability that goes with the development and the infrastructure, especially, you know, the technology, but also you know, the, the, the human resources that went into this, you know, that that really helped um, make it barrier free. Um, they were all in, but, you know, it, I just remember them from the early stages uh, in a bit of shock and disbelief. So it is about the member, and that includes members of AOSSM, AMSSM, and ASPT. It is free to all members because, you know, our philosophy has always been, you know, member value first and foremost, and right in that, you know, and that sidecar next to them is our most important stakeholder, which is our student athlete. And to be able to do this uh, to advance healthcare is, is the ultimate goal. The other part of this, too, that I'm really excited about for our members to understand on the flip side, though, is that we do want there to be a return of investment for the member um, because their member dues did get invested into the project. And so I know there is a paid access option that's forthcoming uh, if anyone is not a member of those four organizations, which is also an exciting thing because I what we haven't talked about yet, but I think needs to be addressed is the fact that this project was planned as early as 2018. We were talking about it, but something pretty big came from the NCAA a couple of, you know, a year or two ago that that really, I think we call the cherry on the Sunday for us, um, but transformation committee. And so this is this tool is really going to be a valuable piece for for the profession, regardless of membership. And there will be access to that regardless if you're a member or not. It'll be a paid feature. But I think that's a, a that's another big ROI benefit for members is to know that the the resources they're investing in will come with a, a revenue uh, potential on the other side. The the D one transformation committee work was, you know, in in the end product was outstanding as it pertained to healthcare because they found a way to establish middle ground. They found a way to highlight the importance of every athletic department investing in their sports medicine programs to the extent that they start with an evaluation. And that was probably their biggest recommendation. You know, we sat back. I've never been accused of being able to keep my mouth shut. And in this case, we had heard so many different rumors about what the D1TC was going to produce as a part of their recommendations. And we really had to keep our mouth shut because what ended up being one of the primary recommendations, um, you know, was directly connected to the value of this tool and this resource. So 
you know, for our members and for ATs and team physicians across the country to have the ability to have a self-guided audit of their sports medicine program and to be able to identify that they met in specific areas standard of care, um, as, as you said, became really an unforeseen connection point, you know, an unforeseen, you know, advancement, even of what we were already doing. It gave us the platform really to talk to conference commissioners, to speak with athletic directors, which we're going to continue to do, because even though it was a division one, you know, set of recommendations, it was able to call to light um, what athletic directors at every level probably also worry about and what ATs, of course, at every level do worry about. So it, it really provided a lot of impetus for us to have maybe a more, even a more successful launch with a few more eyes and ears than we would have had. So, you know, I guess the harder you work, the luckier you get. Well, in the one piece you were talking about when you were going to the different uh, conference commissioners and the conference meetings and kind of demoing this toolkit is, I know for me, a, a thing that was a pleasant surprise, but maybe not something that I, I was necessarily anticipating you might have been, um, was the desire to use this toolkit on a conference level. We we always had the individual user in mind when we were developing it, but maybe um, at least I was not necessarily thinking about the end user as a group um, because we were really focused on protecting the individual, being de-identified. And so it was really refreshing and kind of interesting when presenting the tool demos. One of the first questions we got was, well, great, if we want to do this as a group, can we do that? Um, and you can, turns out you can. Yeah, yeah, you can. And, and it's a consideration for for everyone at every level to think about your peers, however you might be organized. In most cases, it is by conference. It'll always be a de-identified data, but that opportunity exists for you to unite or even a small group of you if you want to compare um, to each other that de-identified uh, result of all the surveys. It, it creates additional talking points, and that's ultimately what advancing healthcare requires is that you have conversations with decision makers, whether that's Office of General Counsel, risk management, uh, certainly athletic administration, um, whether you're speaking to your medical director first, your medical director sitting next to you and, and having the conversation with you. The survey in total is step one, writing your own narratives, so to speak, being able to tell your story around both the things you're doing well that meet or exceed standard and then you know, the things that you want to advance and what your plan is going to be to advance to be able to show that we need to advance because we don't meet standard. And here's the reference that proves it. That might be a different conversation, even more so if you were to say, and it turns out we're one of only three other institutions out of the 12 in our sports medicine conference group that have not been able to meet standard. So all these things, you know, most important for the student athlete, you know, they're, that's Again, that's the who, but we're all competitive. So I think this provides even another layer of narrative and another potential set of comparative data points uh, to, to bring out the competitive nature of maybe the decision makers, but mostly to have them better understand what you want to accomplish as a sports medicine team. So one of the, the final two things I have before we wrap up is one of the critical pieces of feedback we've gotten to date is uh, member feedback about the vulnerability that they feel when they're do when they're using this toolkit for the first time. 
um, and kind of when they saw that they were getting a quote unquote, and I use air quotes for those, I know you can't see me, but score um, on the completion of the toolkit. And I just, I think it's important for us to just emphasize that this is, it's not, you're not getting a grade. It's not like you get a 93% that's good, 40% that's bad. But what we wanted to create was uh, a feedback, something speaking to you in a way to tell you a story um, about the way that you do the toolkit so that over time you can constantly be given that feedback to be able to see the changes in what your institution is doing. And I just, I felt like that was important to to share on the podcast. Cause like I said, I know we've heard um, on the ICSM uh, town hall, actually, I think it was where we really started hearing that consistently. And we'll, we'll link to the show notes on that event too. Cause that was also really great, but just the the vulnerability that some ATs felt when starting to use the toolkit and then realizing after they did, hey, you know what? It, that wasn't as scary as we thought it was. Um, so just my advice for anyone that is contemplating whether or not they want to jump into a self-study is, is don't let the fear or the vulnerability of using something like this stop you. Because um, at least everyone that's taken it so far has reported back some pretty positive feedback on on being happy that they had the opportunity to kind of go to the 30,000 foot level and, and look at all of this. Uh, the, the goal of this project was never to shame. The, the goal of the project was never to call people out to rank. Um, you know, again, even though we just talked about comparative data, that's still de-identified. So I, I get it. And that's why I'm glad you did bring it up. It is human nature. And we are in, in a lot of different ways, um, apprehensive and it's, difficult to be in that vulnerable position to identify, you know, where you have opportunities for improvement, but what it does different than a, a lot of other options for auditing your program is it, it allows you to be self-guided, allows you to analyze piece by piece, you know, bit by bit, standard by standard within each of the 16 domains, um, you know, do it at your own pace and do it in a way that allows you to develop the, the narrative because there's more than just the standard. You know, there's, there's more to every clinical decision that you're making, programmatic clinical decisions that you're making that are super germane and specific to your in university and your institution. And that's where I think this really becomes, once you get into it, you know, much more of a comfortable process uh, especially over time, because you know it, it's yours to make it um, as as good as you want to make it. So, in the spirit of being vulnerable, I can't help but not take advantage of having you on the podcast because we do have some podcast series where we get to talk to our former and current leaders of the association and pick their brain on some stuff. So, with that said, since you're here, would you mind playing a round of rapid fire questions with us today? I'll keep it on mute, but go ahead. <laughs> so the way that this works, and Tracy's going to use some really cool sound effects in the podcast, which is always my favorite part, but I'm going to ask you a series of, of rapid questions over the course of a minute or two um, and just come up with the first thing that pops up to mind. Cool? All right, FCC, get ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. If you had to be a Disney character, which one would you be? Goofy. Pick your Hogwarts house. Successfully avoided all the movies and all the books. I have no idea. It's a terrible answer. If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Water? 
That, that's so lame. Um, Water. Okay. What's your favorite pizza topping? Mushrooms. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Absolutely not. What's your favorite color? White. Last thing you watched on TV? An episode of Quarterback. Quick, you're stuck on an island and you can only play five songs for the rest of your life. What are they? I can give some artists. Metallica. Alanis Morissette. Oh, no, I'm blanking. Five Finger. Dave Matthews Band. And you get four. If you could learn any language in a week, which one would it be? Espanol. What do you impulse buy the most at a store? All things clothing. Who is a person that inspires you? My parents. To you, what's the best age to be? Ten. What was your first job? It was the first mate. Basically drove a charter fishing boat on Lake Michigan. And if you had the best piece of advice for someone, what would it be? Like we did with this project, dream big. Congrats. I'm not going to give you a score. Some of those questions were just awful, but I mean... Thank you for participating with us. I still will never, Tracy, understand how people think pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. I think that will always be a point of contention on this podcast because it does. Yeah, you're the first one. You're the first one to say no pineapple on pizza. No, I think there was someone else that said pineapple can't be on pizza. AJ, I think AJ definitely is a no pineapple guy. Yeah, you might be right. I'll have have to to go back and, and look at that, but... Fan of salty sweet, but just not on my pizza. <laughs> Don't mess with this pizza. Don't mess with my pizza. So in recapping the toolkit, um, Tori, any final thoughts you have for our listeners today about the toolkit, its use, its function, benefits of membership, anything like that? We definitely want feedback and we talk about that. So, you know, keep that in mind as you're rolling through uh, the self-guided audit, um, you know, opportunities for the resources to be enhanced. Uh, think about your peers where you're doing things really, 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 really well and meeting or exceeding standard. Please, you know, share the things that you found to be successful. Share your stories as well and gather, you know, along with your resources. That's been the strength of our profession uh, since its inception. And this project really gives you more of a broad opportunity to do so, not just with your current peers and colleagues, but all the way across, you know, membership, which really now, of course, extends all over the world. Um, but thanks for taking the time and doing so. You're you're committing to the advancement of healthcare and, and you've got your patients in mind, which is great. Absolutely. Tori, thank you for the time today. Um, our call to action to our listeners is to access the toolkit. Uh, we're going to link the toolkit, the resources, all these things in our show notes for easy access. Um, But as in all things, as we wrap up our podcast today, we're always looking for feedback. Um, Show Notes has ways that you can get a hold of us and submit your feedback. I know on the podcast homepage, there's a way to submit it too. We're always looking for ideas of what topics you want to see us cover next um, and just any thoughts or questions you might have for myself and or our uh, audience speakers. So if you have stuff for Tori, definitely submit that there too. Um, otherwise, make sure to to go back and like and subscribe the podcast, listen to future episodes, and we can't wait to see you on the next podcast. Until then, take care. Thanks, everyone. I prevail. That's my fifth. I prevail, okay. Katie. Okay, we'll take it. 
cut. Thanks for tuning in to the NATA cast. All resources mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes or at nata.org slash podcast. If you'd like to let us know what you thought or even what you want to hear in future episodes, please send an email to the NATA cast at nata.org. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the NATA cast and rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.